0: Welcome to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. As you are probably aware, there's a new sort of media out there, folks like 538, Vox, The Upshot, all trying to do new types of storytelling with data, data visualization, all sorts of great work. And so I'm really happy to uh, have Ben Castleman, the chief economics writer from Five Thirty Eight here today. Ben, how are you doing?
1: Doing great. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Um so I thought we would just sort of uh maybe you just sort of talk about what you uh what your role is over there and uh and then we can talk about some fun stuff that you guys are working on.
1: If I can figure out my role, I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> um yeah, I mean so you know 538 we uh, obviously launched by by Nate Silver, you know, best known for uh for election prediction um work. Uh, he'd done that on his own, he done it at the Times and about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago now, um we relaunched at the uh Owned by ESPN and a much broader coverage of um, of kind of all things data journalism. Uh, so my particular role is is on the economics side. I'd been uh, with the Wall Street Journal, kind of covering economics there in a more traditional journalism approach, and uh, you know, kind of trying now to figure out how we go about doing that in a in a more data driven way, in a way that uh, can appeal to the the stats heads who have sort of long been a core part of of Nate Silver's audience, but then also kind of reach a, a broader audience of people who are. Uh, kind of interested in in understanding evidence and understanding how we know what we know, but you know aren't necessarily uh, you know running running regressions on the side
0: right 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 and so i mean you you know that you've i've you and I have talked a lot and I've written some things on sort of this i guess merging of sort of like the journalists and the researchers i mean and and I sort of have complained a few times about. You know, you guys. Yeah, not you all those things have been friendly, John. Not all. The, I know, I know. You know, I, I try <laughs> trying to. I'm trying to be constructive. <laughs> um, you know what's your what's your sort of thought on that? You know, the, there's sort of this. You know, you guys are really good at sort of the graphics and the reporting and the telling of the stories, and then um, and then the sort of researchy side, which is sort of the statistics and the regressions. You know, traditionally, it's been left to sort of you know academics and you know yeah. full time researchers. I mean, what's your? Do you have a Thought on those sorts of things, you know, where and where is journalism going with that sort of more generally? Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I think this
1: is something that we think a lot about, and, and I don't think that any of us at 538 certainly, I wouldn't uh, claim to have gotten this balance right all of the time. Um, you know, I think that we think of ourselves as kind of operating a little bit in a space between. Some of the traditional journalism, uh, and I, you know, again, I come out of a very traditional journalism background. I'm not running away from that. I have a huge admiration for the work that they do. I read the Times and the Journal every morning, Um, but we sort of think of ourselves as operating somewhere between that space and then uh, the sort of academic space, right? We are operating on a probably more often than not a slower timeline than um, than you see picking up, uh, you know, flipping over to uh, to you know whatever website, Um, but we are you know, more, moving on a much, much faster timeline than is realistic in the academic world or, or even sort of the think tank world, right? Yeah. I mean, I think some of what we do is operating in a space that's not that dissimilar to what, what Urban might be doing, what Pew might be doing, um, but maybe a little bit faster than that and and trying to reach a more general audience. I mean, I think that, you know, this is something that, um, that you know, a lot, of, a lot of groups are sort of trying to think through. Yeah. But, you know, we, we're not trying to limit ourselves to to just people who, who you know, spend their lives paying attention to this right. stuff.
0: And what's the, what do you view as sort of the big challenge of communicating that sort of work to the broader audience that you're trying to communicate with? I mean, it's one thing if you write an academic paper and you talk uh-huh. about some regression model and you publish it for your academic peers. It's another thing to say, I'm going to run a regression and publish it on, you know, the 538 site for sort of a broader audience. Where's the, h- how do you balance the sort of technical data work with the right. sort of lay, lay audience you're trying to communicate with?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I think we struggle with that. Um, I think that the the sort of driving force is, is that we need to be communicating clearly to our our broad audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we will certainly try to include the details of the regressions that we run, of the, the formulas that we use, uh, wherever possible, in in footnotes, we post data and code on GitHub. We want to be very transparent in that kind of way, um, but th- that's not realistically a way of communicating to mm-hmm. a to a broad audience. I think the thing that that I certainly spend a lot of time thinking about is how do we communicate to a non technical audience the degree of uncertainty that we that we have. Um, I don't think we have a responsibility to have everybody who reads a story come away with a, a precise understanding of where the confidence intervals are, what the sort of you know rigorous standard errors might be. But yeah. there is a responsibility to explain to people, you know, what do we know and how do we know it? What mm-hmm. do we think and why do we think it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of what what are the what are the orders of magnitude anyway on the on those error bars? Right? right. How do we how do we think about the differences between things where there's very, very strong evidence and places where there's less strong evidence. And and, and we try to communicate that in a way that may not look like what you would see in an academic paper or in a technical appendix of a white paper, but it still communicates those
0: ideas. Right. Do you think people, do you think this sort of lay audience, do you think they understand this uncertainty, the the standard errors, the confidence intervals? Not when presented that way. No. I mean, I I think, I I mean, I I should qualify that a little
1: bit. You know, when we we put together our election models, right, we have, um, you know, we'll include a a confidence interval on there. Some people are going to understand that. Some people aren't. But, you know, I I think that people have an understanding in that case where it's an explicitly... statistical idea or st- a, 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 we present it as a probabilistic model I, I think that people can understand that Yeah. in a lot of stuff though I, I, I think trying to communicate it in just the way of of you know it, 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 error bars is, is not the best way of communicating to, to a general audience so then you need to come up with some other way of communicating the idea that there's uncertainty mm-hmm.
0: here. Yeah I think you guys do a really nice job of the visualizations that have a lot of uncertainty so it might be like you know, correlations that you're showing maybe over time and you sort of have these sort of um, shaded error bars or shaded mm-hmm. regions that, that sort of stand in the back. But I, but but my sense is that this idea of uncertainty either is sort of like a point estimate or results is one set of uncertainty that's hard to communicate um, to a broad audience. And the other sense is a sort of um, research or model uncertainty. Yeah. And I don't know um how well how e- i don't know if that's easy to communicate uh, and i don't know how well it's done sort of throughout i don't think it's well done in in the in the academic literature for for certain um certainly there's this sort of publication bias where you only get things published if they have some big statistically significant result so where how, how do you guys balance all that i mean if you if you sort of Working on a story, and you say I'm going to run this regression, and I sort of have this not, this zero, you know, not statistically significant result. Right. Do you do you have the Do you feel like you have the same um, pull towards the publication bias that the sort of I think is sort of documented in the academic literature? Do you have that same sort of feeling that you're being pulled like, well, this is zero or statistically zero, so we're not going to publish it? Yeah. Look, I mean, we obviously face some of those same pressures,
1: right? I mean, you know, running at a a website that's trying to reach a broad audience and, and having a too many of those articles sort of say, yeah, we kind of thought this might be interesting and we didn't find anything. Right, here. yeah, right. you're going you're to run out of, uh, <laughs> of interested readers pretty yeah. quickly. You know, I, I do think that we sometimes think that there are interesting stories in null findings, right? There are times where you set out thinking that there's going to be some kind of, of interesting relationship and it turns out it's not there and it's pretty clear it's not there and we can then explain why it it might not be there right i mean if you look at, at a lot of the the pieces that that nate has done on um on elections right a lot of that yeah. is actually reporting null findings essentially right, right. you think that there's going to be a relationship here and there's not yeah um we we have certainly had occasions where we have sort of you know set out to find something and and sort of felt a bit of an obligation then to report when we when we didn't but they look we are all the time are, are looking for possible relationships discovering that one doesn't exist and and you know tossing that story aside because it turns out not to be that interesting and, and yeah. I think that that's a, a real concern but it's also um, there's a limit to what we can sort of do about that in a in a context where we're trying to reach an audience
0: right and what's the balance when you're when you're doing when you're publishing the results what's the balance between the Talking about it in the text and sort of showing it in the in the data visualization. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a
1: lot of cases text ends up lending itself more clearly to that, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about a, a, um, you know, a probabilistic model, right? We can we can show that pretty clearly in a visualization. You know, where where we're trying to show a, a, a you know conventional standard error, right? We can show that in a visualization. But when we're talking about some of the issues that we're talking about here. I think that visualizing that can be difficult, right? We have a lot of flexibility in our writing to say that the evidence suggests something, um, to remind people that data is preliminary. You know, we write about the the jobs report every month like everybody seems to these days. And, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time in that, dedicate, you know, a a significant amount of that to saying, you know, this is is a preliminary estimate, to highlighting places where there's conflicting evidence, um, to... Uh, you know, pointing to trends, but then making the point that it's a, a volatile series. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of opportunities in the way that we write those stories to, to highlight the uncertainty. It's a lot harder in a, in a visualization to do that, right? We're not going to, every time we show, uh, you know, the number of jobs added last month, right. show, show the, error the error bars on that, bars let so that. alone try to represent the, the, you know, different concepts of employment and unemployment that, right. that could yield very different Right, interpretations, right, right. yeah. I, I will give one example, though. I mean, actually, that t- to that point, you know, we we uh, in in the econ space, right? Thinking a lot about uh, you know how tight the job market is right now. This is something that everybody's spending a lot of time thinking about. And we have had cases where we'll run kind of various different um, we'll charts of sort of various different ways of thinking about these questions, mm-hmm. and show that they all kind of conform to the same basic trend line, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a way of showing, yes, these all look a little bit different from one another, uh, but the trends all, you know, are, are broadly similar. And I think that that can give people a sense both of the uncertainty, but also of why we have a degree of confidence
0: in that. Do you feel in the, sort of, uh, in the sort of space that you're in, which is, you know, I think different than sort of the traditional po- Washington Post, New York Times, sort of traditional journalism, do you feel like you have a, a, a broader opportunity to sort of play with these sorts of things and, and publish more in terms of like, we're going to play around with this and we've maybe this is a little story that's interesting, but we can sort of publish this quickly, whereas in sort of traditional journalism, they may have to develop a more, you know, longer, longer story or, or a fuller story.
1: Yeah, I think we do. Although I think that we've actually probably found that harder in some cases than we thought. You know, yeah. we, when we launched, we um, we had this notion, and we still we still have this notion about a distinction between features, um, sort of longer, bigger features, and blog posts. We have a blog that we call Data Lab, right? Um, and we, we named it that in part because it was an idea that it could be a place that was a little bit of a of a scratch pad. We'd show stuff that we were working on. We'd show ideas that you know where we we you know had an interesting idea, but we weren't sure that it would pan out yet. That's proved very difficult in practice to communicate the idea that we're we're intrigued by this, but we're not yet sold on
0: it. Yeah.
1: Um, I think we've had some cases where we've done that successfully, um, but uh, but we've also gotten backlash on on cases where we, we either didn't do a good enough job explaining the notion that this was preliminary, or um, or where readers just didn't understand that that's what we were trying to do, and yeah. and that can become um, that can get pretty tricky.
0: Yeah, it seems a little bit difficult when sort of all of these different pieces of a website that maybe in the, in the producer's mind are separate, but from the consumer side, they sort of look and feel the same. And it can feel like a cop-out, right? You don't want to be sitting here saying, oh, well, that was just on our data lab. You, know, <laughs> right. you,
1: can't, yeah. you can't take that seriously. <laughs> yeah. You know, we still want everything we do to rise to our standards. I guess the distinction that we would make is, is that our standards are, are not that we're always right, our standards are that we're clear about you know, our levels of uncertainty, and that to say, you know, hey, we we looked at this thing, and and then, you know, later we come back, and, you know, it turns out that that didn't pan out, that's fine, as long as we were transparent about our degree of confidence to start with, and as long as we're transparent when the evidence comes in and and doesn't hold up what we originally thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you you talk a little bit about the process that you guys have when it comes to doing these sort of more modeling type approaches? Mm -hmm. I think the, the political model sort of what, what Nate and, and you guys are sort of most well-known for. But when it comes to these sort of uh, shorter one-off things, you know, I'm going to run a regression of, you know, Y on X. Is there is there a sort of peer review process that you guys go through? Is it like a formal thing? Is it just sort of an informal where you sort of show it to a few people's?
1: yeah i i would say it it's it's probably more informal than than formal although it depends some on the on the topic of course and it depends on you know how we're presenting it i mean certainly when we're talking about it, the the sort of full models right those are things where we we have a lot of people involved and are thinking yeah. very seriously about them but yeah for these sort of one-off things we, we have a a person on staff here used to be with the atlanta fed uh, andrew flowers whose title is quantitative editor we, we think we invented that um uh everybody should feel free to copy it. Um, but but part of his job is is to both be there as a resource to to answer questions uh, that some of us might have, but then also to to serve as an editor, right? Who, who will go back through and and look at uh, look at the the work that we're doing. That's especially true when we're talking about freelancers, who we may not be as familiar with. But mm-hmm. uh, but it's true for me as well. It's true, um, you know, for any of the people on staff. To you know, he'll he'll have a look and and see what we're doing. Um, you know, Nate will will get involved on things. I mean, I, I've had uh, I've had discussions with Nate where he'll ask to see our regression specifications and you know ask to run uh, you know run some robustness checks. Which, right. You know, slightly terrifying occasionally, um, <laughs> but it, in, in a constructive way, I think. Right. But you know, look, I, we we also will run pieces where essentially what happens is is you know I do do the work that I do and we put it up there and and it's been edited from a. a from a text standpoint um but where it hasn't been you know checked by a lot of people and you know what we try i I think the goal there again is to make sure that we're transparent about what we're doing um and you know we will we post a lot of that stuff on on github we put a lot of that stuff in footnotes and i i field a lot of questions from from readers who will then ask about things and we try to be transparent in answering those questions as much as possible as well
0: Right. Yeah, interesting. Where um so let me just let's just uh finish up where uh, where do you see both 538 and sort of this the new we can call it new media or the data driven journalism side. Where do you see things progressing over the next year or two, I guess?
1: You know, I, I think that there's there's kind of where do things go for for us and for the other sites yeah. that are kind of similar, sure. and mm-hmm. then there's um, you know kind of what happens with with sort of journalism more broadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for for us, I, I think you know our goal continues to be to you know cover more areas, um, to be more ambitious in our in our stories, right? To to bring this kind of journalism to a wider audience. We really do believe that um, there's an audience for this that goes beyond people who are. Who are probably listening to this podcast, right? We, yeah. we think that there are yeah. people who um, who are skeptical of the some of what they read in the media, and that that this kind of approach can resonate with them. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that we do see part of the mission as to help uh, steer ju- broader journalism uh, in a more statistically minded direction, right? That doesn't mean that that you know everyone at the Times or everyone at the Post or everyone at CNN um, God help us is going to be, uh, going to be running, uh, <laughs> running statistical models, but it does mean that they, they can be thinking about evidence. They can be thinking about statistical evidence. They can understand ideas of uncertainty and probability, right? That they can do that in a, in a day-to-day basis. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think you don't have to be running an elections model to have recognized that, you know, by the time the election ran came around on 20, in 2012, there was not a lot of, of, uh, Uncertainty there, mm-hmm. right? We pretty well knew who was going to win that, yeah. and there's no reason for you know the talking heads on TV to pretend otherwise. Right. Um, and and so that I think you know part of our mission there is to change the way you know the media writ large sort of think about these issues.
0: Yeah, it's sort of interesting because it seems like from my perspective as sort of a, a researcher that uh, the journalism field is getting a little bit closer to the sort of statistics and regressions and data-driven side. And on the other hand, the academics and researchers need to get a little bit closer to the storytelling side. And yeah. that's how you sort of engage with people.
1: And, and you're certainly seeing that in, in, you know, more more academics and, and right. uh, who are thinking about this or, or think tanks that are speaking directly to the public, right, where before it would just be, you know, trying to reach the journalist who would then write it up. You know, yeah. hey, why can't Urban, why can't Pew be speaking directly to the right. public on a lot of these things? Right, exactly.
0: Great. All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show. I appreciate it. This has been uh, really interesting. And um, good luck over the next weeks and months and years. (laughs) Thanks so much. I really appreciate being on. All right. Thanks, everyone. I will see you next week.